You are listening to Sing Amen, ministering through music. I am Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and welcome to our podcast. Welcome back, and Happy New Year. We took a little break in January to kind of get caught up and moving again, but we are back, and we have a great lineup of podcasts set for 2019. So if you're not subscribed yet to the Sing Amen podcast, please do subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, just to make sure you don't miss anything. Also, if you have a minute, we'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review in one or more of those platforms so we can keep moving up in the rankings and be easier to find. So today on Sing Amen, we have a conversation with Phil Konsik and Bob Battistini. It's sort of a case study kind of thing of their parish in Holland, Michigan. St. Francis de Sales is that rare and wonderful holy grail of Catholic parishes, an engaged and functioning multilingual and multicultural community. So here we talk not just about what they're doing now, but we also sort of explore the 40-year journey of this parish from two communities worshiping in two separate buildings to a single parish where bilingual and even trilingual worship is just part of the life of the community. And I warn you, by the time you finish hearing this, you might be making your own plans to retire north to Michigan. It's cold up there, though, uh, because this just sounds like an amazing place to pray and live. We recorded this conversation at NPM last summer, since it was the only time we could get all three of us in a room at the same time. So please excuse the street noises and occasional sound of someone walking down the hall outside the room singing. Um, I got out as much of the extra noise as I could, but there was some that's just kind of there. Please also excuse the tendency of three friends chatting together who sometimes forgot the microphone was on. There are times when we caught ourselves gesticulating and talking with our hands and then needed to orally translate what was going on in the room. But we had a wonderful conversation, and we hope you enjoy it too. Phil, who is the 14-year music director at St. Francis, has some wonderful insights and strategies for how this parish has collectively worked to unite its people while still honoring and respecting the comfort zones and cultural heritage of each, and, and gently stretching and widening everyone's comfort zones to include and embrace the traditions of their brothers and sisters from a different cultural heritage. So here we go. I'm here at NPM with Phil Konzik and Bob Battistini, who are here to talk about their parish. They work together at St. Francis de Sales Parish in Holland, Michigan. And we're going to talk about it. It's a very interesting place. And I want to hear both of their takes on it and some of the really cool work they've done there, especially in the area of multicultural and multilingual liturgy. So can I ask each of you guys... Okay, Bob Battistini, we know a lot about who you are, but kind of give us the, the canned brief version. Well, last October 1st, I hit 50 years with GIA. And uh, so that's been pretty much my life. But I've also been a parish musician for 63 years, all but the last 12 as a music director. And now I am Phil's sidekick or assistant and loving it because I don't have to go to meetings. <laughs> I'm Phil Konzik. I was born and raised in Muskegon, Michigan, and um, I've been at St. Francis for 14 years and love it and love having Bob there. Yeah, and so, and so the two of you have been together there for about 12 years. Yep. Um, so tell us about the parish. What is what is St. Francis de Sales like? You know, what's the makeup of it? How many masses do you have? The, tell me about the people there. Yeah, the, the parish is uh, an interesting mix of a lot of things. It is, you know, any type of diversity you can imagine, it exists there. The parish is about 55% ethnically Hispanic, 
probably about 30% Spanish-only speaking mm. folks. Um, we have third, fourth, and now fifth generation Hispanics in the parish. Um, so there's this gradient of culturally Hispanic versus um, speaking Spanish language. Those two things are independent of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have about 7% now of our, our parish is, is Vietnamese. And every year we get a few more Vietnamese families, and we do Mass once a month in Vietnamese as well. And for Triduum liturgies and Christmas, we do trilingual um, liturgies. It's ethnically diverse. It's language diversity. It's got um, socioeconomic diversity extremes and just about everything else you can imagine. Am I forgetting anything? No, I think that that covers it well. My perspective is totally different because I've always been in, in white suburban parishes. And, and to move into this area after retiring from full-time work at GIA, I find, found my way to St. Francis, and I discovered you know, the multicultural parish. And, and the first thing I noticed that it did not resemble the horror stories I've heard from parishes that were all once so maybe an ethnically Irish parish or ethnically Polish, and, and then a demographic change came about, and, and there was always a divide between the Hispanic community and the Anglo community, to, to the point where I, I could only characterize it as saying there were two separate parishes using the same building. When I arrived at St. Francis, I discovered that that was not the case at all. They're 30% Spanish-only speakers, but the, you know, the rest of the Hispanic community is totally interwoven with, with the Anglo community and vice versa. And uh, it, it's really a good thing, and it's a tribute to the whole staff. The pastor, the pastor before him, have all wanted to set the parish. Oh, and, and Phil's gesture, one before that. They've all set the parish on this trajectory of trying to form it into a single multicultural community, and I think it has succeeded. And if I can put in a GIA plug here, <laughs> we were the first parish to get a Ramos Contando, and it has worked fabulously for us. It is just absolutely... the. Because before that, there was their book and our book. Right. And now we have one book because it reflects who we are as a community. So this whole thing for me is an adventure and it's wonderful. So, so a, little, a little further back in the history, Bob, Bob brought up that may be relevant is this is about 40 years of multicultural ministry at St. Francis. Wow. Um, when the first waves of immigrants from Texas and Mexico started settling in Holland, they bought a church across the street, a Protestant church that had closed down, and that's where Spanish Mass was. So we started, the parish started 40 years ago with that divide oh. and has worked over this time to get to where we are now. So it's not, it was not some magic bullet over night sensation approach that, that made that happen. It was just years of meticulous thought and planning and consciousness on, on both sides. You have to give both language groups the, uh, an opportunity to get into their comfort zone with this whole idea. You can force things. I mean, there's nothing worse than asking somebody to sing in a language they don't know. And when they're finished singing, they have no idea what they just sang. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this hymn book that has everything in two languages, uh, you're never really left out in the cold singing words that, you know, are meaningless. Because even if you're singing words that you don't understand, you can see your language above or yep. below. And yep. um, We started doing bilingual psalms. And it, we don't do this all the time. Um, it needs to be a shorter psalm. Otherwise, the psalm will right. not work very well, being very long. But um, of doing it in both languages, doing the refrain in both languages. Um, the trick that I've found to break down the last barriers 
you know, hopefully the last barriers, um, <laughs> has been minuscule exposure. And that, that is both sides. So we exposed the, the Spanish mass to a little bit of English. You know, when we started doing this, when I got there, probably 10 years ago, we started to really, really work on liturgical integration. And it was, it started with, with the Psalms and communion antiphons, refrains for communion songs, doing them in both languages. And when you sing, the Lord is my shepherd, el Señor es mi pastor, everybody knows what they're singing because if they may only know it in one language, we do, we, we use duck table, both. we do them twice. And then, you know, on shorter psalms, maybe we'll, we'll do, you know, double the verses, do an English-Spanish, English-Spanish, English-Spanish on the three stanzas. Mm -hmm. Other times we alternate verse one in English, verse two in Spanish, but people still have the text in front of them. So they still see what's going on, even when it's in another language. Midnight Mass and, and Holy Thursday, the texts for the readings are always printed in the two languages in which they're not read. So everyone has a chance to, to be on board and understand, and it, re it really works well. The other thing that works really well is singing text everyone knows in, in another language. Santo, 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 you know, it, they, they know what they're singing because they know what it means. The Gloria we do in certain seasons, we'll do those bilingually at all the masses. So, yeah, in terms of how your Sunday schedule plays out, are all of your liturgies bilingual throughout the year, or do you have an English Mass, a Spanish Mass? We have, we have a, bilingual, a bilingual Mass on Saturday. The uh, anticipatory Mass is, mm -hmm. is bilingual. We have two English Masses. Now, these these labels are all in quotes. Right. Um, the Spanish Mass, and, and very rarely is there not a word of the other language spoken or sung in, in those liturgies. So it's it's kind of on a, a scale, you know. But it's dictated by the music. If the psalm won't work doing it bilingually, we don't do it bilingually. Right. We do things like Tazay pieces, though, where we, you know, Jesus, remember, and we will alternate Spanish, English, Spanish, English, Spanish, English, Spanish, English, Spanish. And everybody's comfortable. But I, I sense no pushback from the Anglo community, which was, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm doing the invisible quotes. Uh, <laughs> from the Anglo community oh, that, was, that was there first. You know, I mean, I sense almost no, no, no kickback from that at all. And it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And, and, you know, sometimes at the 1030 Mass, which is the one, you know, where I, I help Phil, you know, direct the choir, um, I look out sometimes and I'll say, you know, 30% of the congregation here are Hispanic. And in some cases, the parents are weak in English and the kids are weak in Spanish. And it's the kids that pull the family to the mostly English liturgy. Huh? You can't divide these multicultural churches into two neat halves because it just doesn't no. work. And we've got, we've got an increasing number of... Spanish-only speakers, people that I know that their English is, is very weak, um, coming to English masses. And I, I would love to believe, and I hope it's true, that that's because of some of these common threads that we've woven through for the last 10 years, um, where there's some, some comfort and familiarity, rather than being in a foreign language with foreign music with you know everything different. Or even if not because of that, that they feel comfortable, you know, if, if a work schedule or some other commitments right. mean they yep. can't come to the Spanish language, they know they can come to the English, one in the English language. It won't language. be completely foreign. Yeah. yeah I, I would like to believe that. I, I No studies to prove it. But. Well, we do things like, you know, Marty Hogan's uh, uh, Return to God, and, and we'll do it 
the refrain in both languages, and then at the Spanish mass, the verses are in Spanish. At the English mass, the verses are in English. But the refrain is both, and that keeps keeps reminding people of you know the nature of our community. Why don't you talk about the staff, the parish staff, because that kind of adds a lot We're about to this. Ninety percent bilingual at some to some degree right now, and that's that's become a requirement where we don't hire anybody. Um, anymore who doesn't have um, really solid Spanish really skills. Solid Spanish skills, yeah. And, and or really solid English skills, yeah. yeah. Our pastor, he, he just had his 25th anniversary. He's German-Polish ancestry. And um, he uh, fluent in Spanish, both on the street and in church. You know, he, he converses with folks about, you know, grandma's health and all. You know, he can do that. Yeah. We just got a newly ordained, one year now, Father Kyle Kilpatrick. He preaches in Spanish without notes. As a newly ordained. As a newly yeah, ordained. He's, he's wonderful. Fully Irish guy. Also, when he opens the sacramentary, if there's musical notation on the page, he sings it. He sings the entire liturgy. Now, I don't know if that's just his personal gift or if that's the way we're training him now. But I hope that's the way we're training him now. That is great. <laughs> we have really sung liturgies all the time. Um, oh. When we did the missile change, we started doing all the dialogues, including the lectors at the end of the readings in both English and Spanish, chant the dialogue there. The word of the Lord. Wow. That's that how, is... that's how uh, I, I mean, personally audition choir members. I hear a lector that comes out with a beautiful baritone. <laughs> the word of the Lord. I'm like, hey, have you thought about singing? <laughs> Um, so that, that was part of what we did implementing. We thought, okay, of all these things at the Second Vatican Council that, that kind of got forgotten, you know, mm-hmm. okay, let's relook at all those. And so we went through and tried to work in some of that, that stuff. And it was a good time with all of the text changes and everything else happening to, to do that. And it's, it's stuck. That, there, was a that little is so bit, there was a little bit of resistance by some of the lectors, and I think one of them ended up bowing out. But um, I think there's only two or three out of 110 lectors that don't do it. I can't think of any better way to help move toward a sung liturgy where music is of the liturgy and not of the musicians than to dialogues. the lectors sing the dialogues. The priests do the, all the dialogues. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time the bishop visited our church, he presided, but Charlie read the uh, gospel, and Charlie got up there, the Lord be with you, and the sound from the congregation lights like a tsunami, and the bishop's eyebrows went <laughs> <laughs> They went up. Yeah, they went up. <laughs> the bishop's eyebrows, he went, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, the, you know, we do all of the verses of the hymns when it makes sense, obviously, you know, for mm-hmm. all creatures of our God and King, we pick a few that pertain a little more closely. But Our, mm-hmm. our Pentecost liturgy with Father Kyle presiding went 90 minutes and at the end we said all three stanzas of Thaxted, O Spirit all embracing and that one person walked out. So you know that's where I found myself in retirement. Lucky me. I'm already making plans to move to Holland, Michigan one of these days because that's oh that's (laughs) come visit. Come visit first you know you'll love it. Okay yeah oh wow. When you came as music director I guess 14 years ago what was you know, what was the situation then? The situation then was there was no hostility, which often happens in these situations. I think that had worked its way out. Um, the church burned in 95. And, no. and um, one of the things that happened was people that couldn't deal with change went to the other parish in Holland. Oh. Because for three years almost, they were doing 
mass in two or three different Protestant churches every week. You know, you kind of never knew where anything was going to be. And, wow. and so um, that probably paved the way to the less resistance going forward because mm-hmm. there was so much turmoil. It was interesting. Those three years. The story yeah. I hear about the fire is they were, you know, hundreds of people were standing there watching the church burn, and uh, the pastor of Third Reform down the street came up to. Uh, I he, he called. He called an emergency vestry meeting, got approval from you know because the, the they're ruled by a board. He can't just make mm-hmm. this decision. And before the fire was out, the pastor of St. Francis had a key to Third Reformed. Wow. He said, here's, here's, here's when our services are, it's yours outside of that. Oh, wow. And then Hope College, we would masses at their chapel. And uh, Hope Reformed also. Hope Reformed. Yeah. People say, oh, yeah, like Reformed and the Catholics don't get along. Nothing could be farther <laughs> we, from the we, truth. We still do Ash Wednesday together with, with Third Reformed. Really? Yeah, we, we don't do Mass. We just do the, the Word Service at, at the noon one, and it uh-huh. alternates between their place and our place. And the opposite pastor preaches. Oh, so that's the the, thing. the reform pastor preaches at St. Francis, and Father Charlie preaches at the at actually the assistant pastor, who happens to be a woman, and yeah. it is so good to see a woman <laughs> in our pulpit. She's a great preacher, and uh, I mean, couples couple years ago, uh, in his Easter message, he he says, as Reverend Cameron from from Third Reform you know, said in in. Our, in her Ash Wednesday sermon, this has been blah, blah. So he quoted her in his Easter message. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> we also yeah, have an ecumenical choir, in, in, you know, which we started in connection with the um, 500 commemoration of the... Not a parish group. That's right. A, a, yeah, it's not a parish group. Just within a sort of a town... Yep. Yep, about 20 to 30 parishes involved in it. And, uh, of course, our people are heavily involved. Then we've had two ecumenical services. The next two will be in our church. The other two were in Protestant churches. Now the next two will be in our church. One on the Sunday before Thanksgiving and one during... Uh, Christian Unity Week. Christian Unity Week. Uh, what about your um, your music ministry, your choirs, cantors? What is the ethnic and language breakdown there? I have two Spanish cantors. They're both fluently bilingual. Um, one of them is a somewhat trained musician, um, mm-hmm. has started, did some college study, and the other one is, is not. The other one's an uh, immigrant from Mexico, and she's also our parish bookkeeper. Our, so there's two for the, the 1230 Mass, and they, they rotate through a you know, regular schedule. We have, I believe right now, six English cantors. All of them, while not bilingual, can sing in Spanish, Okay, which is was a long fought uphill battle to get you know pronunciations and um, authentic and all that but it's it's it was well worth the effort because now it's not hard now it's not hard he told me i pronounce spanish with an italian accent yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably better than a chicago accent well it could be all, all of our cantors now are um either professional or high functioning amateur musicians um I'm very spoiled because we don't have to rehearse. Oh, that's nice. They do the entire weekend. They do, so they'll do the Saturday and the two Sunday English Masses. The same cantor does them. Oh, um, wonderful. Yep, so then they're then they're not on for another you know six, seven weeks, right. depending on how the rotation's going. And they all come in knowing their stuff. I just spoiled. Just spoiled. <laughs> that shouldn't be spoiled, though. That should be I know, the way I know, it I know. is. You know? um, yeah, it's just it's, it's worked out. Worked out. Really well, where, yeah. where you know five minutes of running through something is, is the most we usually have to do. We'll nice. Quick sing through the psalm refrain in one verse and we're done. You know. Got it. Yeah. 
What about your choir or choirs? You said there's a 1030 choir. I got a Spanish choir as well. Um, there's a Vietnamese choir that's a little small, and it kind of ebbs and flows based on who's around. That community mm-hmm. tends to um, fluctuate. I have a Spanish choir um, that fluctuates as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's 10 or so. There's about a core of about 10 that are there all the time, and sometimes there's 30. Um, oh, wow. A 1030 choir is pretty accomplished for a church choir. Oh, 35 in number? Yeah, it varies between 35 and 40. Do you have any any of the Hispanic parishioners who sing with the 1030 yes. choir? Yes, there are a few. Culturally Hispanic folks, but yeah, not but, not folks that aren't fluently uh, speaking English. And we've had them come and go, too. You know, there's, yeah, Like any parish choir, choir oh, there's always a fluctuation. But yep. there's okay. one more group. We have a parish brass group and there's a, two, two more. more. Parish oh. brass group. And, yeah, okay, wait, this is a retired... High school band director who plays the euphonium, and our brass group now has four trumpets, two French horns, who are both symphony level players. They're both high school band directors. Okay. Wow. Two trombones, a tuba sometimes, and the euphonium player does all the arranging for them, and, and it's really good. Uh, and it's everybody is from our parish, everybody except the first trumpet. The first trumpet is Christian Reformed, which there are many in Holland. We, we had him sub in once, and he stayed. Because wow. I, I had played with this guy. You know, when I first retired, I don't, you, you can edit this out. When I first retired, I, I played in a rock and roll band for a couple of years, and it was a horn band. I was the piano and organ player, and uh, this guy was the trumpet player. And so I got to know him, and I, but then he tried out for the Holland Symphony, and I made an audition tape with him, organ and trumpet, and I said, this guy's got real classical chops. So we invited him, and he's been, what, four or five years now? Yeah, five, wow. five years, yeah. yeah. Oh, so do he... I have to edit that out? <laughs> no, you Bob Battistini was playing you don't it. I love that. I don't care. You don't have to edit it out. <laughs> um, and then the orchestra. The orchestra is mostly youth, but it's it's cross-generational. Very uh, culturally diverse. You know, it's, it's, it's... How many in there? 20 if they're all there. Okay, you have your parish in Holland, Michigan. Yes. You have a youth orchestra in your parish. Yes. Well, it's not all youth. Or because the double bass player happens to be the principal bassist in the Holland Symphony. Oh yeah. my lord. Yeah, and the uh, flute yeah, approaching we're... retirement age. Oh, okay. So it's not it's not all youth, but it's, no, it's uh... mostly youth. And how often do they play? Once a month. Really? Yeah. Brass plays once a month once as a well. Month. And, and the string players, these young kids are amazing. The lead players in the sections are really good players. Unfortunately, after they graduate high school, we sometimes lose them. But uh, but we've got like third and fourth graders who have been playing Suzuki method now for for, for a long time, and now they're reading, and and it's amazing. I watch these kids and how well in tune they play, and it, yeah. it's just it's just really, really. My requirements for orchestra is that they can tune their own instruments. That's actually a great requirement. That because that that, that generally, if if they're capable of tuning their own instruments, that. They have the basic skills that they would need for for playing for liturgy. We've kind of ventured ventured away from a little bit, but this is great. Stuff, I'm a little nervous <clears throat> that we're going to you know you publish this two, podcast two and then of all of like everybody's going to retire to to South to, to Holland. And, <laughs> come, come, on, come on, come on, come on. Welcome. <laughs> Only if they, it sounds like everybody sings though. They do. So I I always say this congregation sings like a bunch of Methodists. I mean, they really <laughs> they, they absolutely raise the roof. It, yeah. it it is. 
It is really very strong. Now, during the summer, I, the choir doesn't function. So a few Sundays ago, I'm sitting there during the opening hymn, and I'm looking around the church. Almost everyone in the church had a hymn book in their hands, and you just don't see that in so many places. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to not hold a hymn, back, hymn book in your hand, you stand out, and nobody walks out during the closing hymn. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really an amazing place. Wow. I do want to go back, though, to the um, where it was when you found it. The parish music director before me didn't play the bilingual mass. Um, it was its own entity. They did repertoire that neither the English Sunday morning community or the Spanish community knew. They do bi- it was a bilingual mass, but it was kind of whatever. Um, and then the Spanish mass had two directors that alternated weeks being in charge. So they had two different sets of repertoire, too. There was a little bit of crossover, but not a lot. And my first task that I was given was to work toward integration across all of the... the so that was that was part of the hiring process. This was, you know, are you prepared for this? And at 24 years old, I was like, sure, no problem. This will be easy. <laughs> We all we were all so smart when we were. I know, right? Weren't we? <laughs> and through a series of failures, I found things that worked. <laughs> yeah. So, what were some of the things that worked? How did you? Uh, like, it? like I said before, um, it, it, minimal exposure. So, minimal exposure. So, so psalm refrains to antiphons in both languages, um, and then work up from there. Um, that 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 calms the nerves of of folks who may be resistant to um, singing in another language. You know, it's also happened, though, it, it was, since we've gotten to Ramos Cantando, the Anglos have learned some Hispanic melodies. We don't necessarily yeah. sing them in Spanish, but they're singing the melody. They're singing Hispanic right. melodies and loving them, loving them. You know, it, it, so this is a, a whole new... Now, when, when Flori Canto was in the, in the pews, you know, the Anglos almost never used the book. But having this, you know... And if we asked them to, they didn't. But didn't. but now, we, we so we're, we, we're, sing, we're singing a fair share of new songs that the Anglos never sang before in English, in English, and, and they love them. And, and vice versa. There's, there's things um, that have worked in Spanish so well that I had one bilingual person who runs an evangelization school came to me asking if they ever translated Muchos Miembros I into English because he wanted to use it for an English retreat. That's We Are Many Parts. Wow. And I'm like, win. There's the win. <laughs> that, yeah, right right there. That's like your, your work. <laughs> yeah. well, not, not my work here is done, but yeah, my work yeah, here right. is. It's working. Yeah, that was, it's working. Muchos miembros en un solo cuerpo Nuestros dones The other story. So the, when I when I got there, that was that was the the Saturday was was its own thing. Sunday twelve thirty was its own thing, and Sunday morning 
the two English masses were their own thing, and there was there was very little common thread between them. Um, and I just started working to integrate that. And, and you didn't do it all at once; you just little things here and there, and mm-hmm. sort of gradually building. I it. started with the petitions. Really, I'm also a liturgy director, so okay. I started with the petitions. I'm like, you know, if we're going to be one community, we need to, you know, have our, our prayers of the, the people reflect both communities and be the same. Probably nobody noticed that, but the pastor and I, you know, at that point. Um, but it was those those little things, those little things to to work on integrating things. And the last things that we did was was liturgy related, but we we reconfigured how all of our Eucharistic ministers and lectors and all that stuff do their ministry because it had kind of been in you know this pocket does this thing this pocket does that thing this pocket does that thing so now now a eucharistic minister from 12:30 mass the spanish mass can come to an english mass offer to fill in and serve at that mass if there's you know if they're looking for somebody because everything is unified in in how those ministries function and, and again, the people in the pews probably don't see that, but it's it's another thing that's facilitating crossover. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one parish. Little, but it's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. one parish. Yeah, it's one parish, and everything functions that way. And it's it's you know it's it's taken a long time. That was that's that's the last big thing that that we did, and that was in the last two years probably. Yeah, when we started doing that because uh, when we'd come to those trilingual liturgies, nobody knew which setup or plan we were going to use because they were all um, each they were all played different. each had its own. And wow. So we had we had to come up with a lot of creative ways of, of unifying that, but that's done. Can I ask with the the Vietnamese community? You said they have a mass once a month. There's yep. a Vietnamese mass once a month. Yep. Um, is any of the music from that mass integrated into? Uh, unfortunately, I mean that's on I mean, the radar. It's a big challenge, that's on the right? radar, but um, you know that that's something that we haven't really tackled that well yet. You know, we would we would love to do that, yeah. but the, the challenges are the language. You know, it, sure. it really is. It's, it's a difficult it's, one. It's, it's it's difficult, and the community is very small. So it's if it was. 15 or 20 percent of our community we probably would have the leadership to you know support them in teaching us um their culture and traditions but it's, it's a much smaller community so that's unfortunately not happening well so tell me about you know, in terms of the choirs and like tell me about how how you do Tridewum. do you plan ahead and say well i know i want to introduce this new music and so we're going to introduce it my approach to things after um, my first few years there was to plan triduum and ignore language um, so I, I I know the parish repertoire you know English and Spanish repertoire um, very well because I do you know I direct both choirs so, so I, I plan it first without thinking about language and then then kind of look at the plan and say so the music and the texts are primary um, you know so, some approaches are well, we have to do 50-50. So there's one checkbox here, one checkbox there, one checkbox. And then you're, you're planning things that don't fit really well just to get your checkbox box checked. While I did that in the first few years that I was doing these, it really felt uncomfortable. And then after we started to have enough crossover repertoire, probably half of the Triduum music is stuff that both communities know from regular Sundays. So this we, is the we, process, you know. We do a bilingual mass. Right. It's Ron Christman's Mylingo Mass. You've been doing it now for what? Since the Missile Change. Since the Missile Change. Oh, first mass wonderful. And then okay. and all, the whole parish knows it really, really well, so it plugs in anywhere. 
Right. And that's and that's also good because the Hispanic community is, you know, learning the, the mass parts of English. And the Anglo community is learning the mass parts in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Fun, funny story. I had an, an older parishioner um, come up and go, why are you making us sing in Spanish? You know, this is a few, right after we started doing yeah. this mass setting. You're not making the, the Spanish mass sing in English. And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> said, no. If we do something in Spanish bilingually on a Sunday, they're doing the same thing. So if we're doing a, an antiphon or mass setting that's bilingual, it goes across all the masses. Do you remember um, what she said? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, yeah. it was, she, was, she was kind of gearing up for a fight. And yeah. went because I think she just had it in her mind that things were going one direction only. The only part of the Triduum that, that is uh, probably different is Good Friday because the Spanish community does a Via Crucis. Oh. We do a bilingual via cruises in the streets through Holland. Wow! Um, and there's just not a lot of a Spanish attendance at the at the you know at the. the r- seven, we have to do it at seven p.m. because that takes the whole afternoon, really. But, wow! Between setup and and, and but doing this it. year, we've always we always been singing the Passion. So, do, uh, do any of your um, Anglo parishioners participate in the via cruises? Oh yes! Oh yes! That, lots, that also lots is a. Do. Yep. Parish-wide. Mm-hmm. Yep, not. that is parish-wide. Wow. The Vietnamese people um, come in and do their stations of the cross in, in Vietnamese at about one thirty, and then go outside and join up with the, the, the Via Crucis through the streets. But the Easter Vigil is, is, is bilingual, and uh, in readings in English, Spanish, and... and uh, yeah, our trilingual yeah. liturgies are, you know, un- unfortunately, the, the Vietnamese is in readings right and petitions and things like that not we 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 haven't we don't have a repertoire and we don't have anybody presider he drives in from wow. Saginaw once a month well, but, that's not that's not but, but we no. do we do of course we do all seven readings with this all the psalms i've never been in of a course. church where we didn't do all seven all readings <laughs> they, never. Did, they didn't when i got there i believe it <laughs> but they do i've now. never been in a church that does all seven readings i mean either. what what is amazing is, what is amazing is phil is half my age and yet liturgically we are so on the same page that it's just a great comfort zone for So either he's really young or I'm really old for my age. I'm not sure. Both. <laughs> <laughs> we meet in the middle. Yeah. You're just in sync. It's good. It works. I mean, well, in terms of the choirs, do your do your Spanish choir and then your English choirs get together to sing Triduum? Or that's, is it... you know, one of the things that happened when I got there that, that we stopped. That, that's another thing that... that Maybe a next step, but the the Spanish choir needs to get a little more solidified before we can do that. Um, they don't have rehearsals. Ah, okay. Um, it's a pickup group, um, right. so that's really hard to integrate into anything like a triduum liturgy. The vigil is canter fest. You know, we've got the, sure. the two Spanish cantors will be there, all of the Angli- English cantors, plus a few other ringers, so that we can actually, you know, do a four-part anthem. Uh, with, yeah, we with put ju- a little chorus together. We put a little, you know, scola together. Okay. We can do we can do choral singing, but we, you know, we like to try and, and use a different cantor for every psalm. And the, and the orchestra plays for the vigil. So it's orchestra and then the scola. scola. Oh, okay. So yeah, the, the Triduum liturgies, the trilingual liturgies, most of that stuff comes from common repertoire because I've, I've worked for the last you know, ten years or so to, to develop that common repertoire, so that, that nothing is well, very little is foreign to, to folks who attend either the English Mass or the Spanish Mass. During yeah. that, in the English Mass, I don't know what you do in the Spanish Mass, but during in the we English, do that, we do that too. Okay, we sing the missile chants a cappella, and and it nice. took a couple of years, but now the folks, you know, holy, and they jump in. We have, we we accompany them at Spanish mass. Okay, um, but yeah, it's so, so you're doing the Spanish missile chants. Yep, Spanish missile chants. Which is the other thing, Spanish mass. 
they use the organ sometimes. I mean, you know, it, but it's not like, oh, we don't use the organ at the Spanish Mass, which is, you know, sort of the unwritten rule in a lot of places. Yeah. Doreen and I were in Mexico City last year, and we went to four Mass, four liturgies. Three of them were accompanied at the organ. Two of them, the organ played really well. A really good instrument played really well in two of the places. When I got there, that was something that I was told and I didn't do. And then I had some parishioners come to me and say, how come you never play the organ? At home, that's all we hear, you know. And wow. from different areas of Mexico, that's true. And in some of the, the poorer regions, it's not. Right. Um, but a lot of the folks from the bigger cities you know, are used to organ and not, not just guitar. Not just guitar. We Anglos sometimes have crazy concepts of what well, we other... We set these generalizations of what we other think. other cultures, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the other thing I can say um, to anybody who's starting to venture down this road is just listen. Just listen. And... And if you ask, you probably won't get an answer. You need to to invite yourself over for dinner to some you know key folks in the community or from whichever country your your mm-hmm. your folks are coming from. That's really where you find out what's going on. The Anglo model of surveys and asking questions and putting people kind of on the spot doesn't work in Hispanic culture. You know, you'll you'll find these things out kind of through the grapevine or oh and by the way things when you're over at dinner. That's the biggest advice I have to anybody who's starting into um, multicultural ministry. Just listen. Just listen. And, and you, have to, you have to insert yourself into people's families and lives to be able to listen. Until you're in relational ministry with, with the folks that have the pulse of the community, you're, you're not going to get a good answer. Frente a Dios terminará 
For more information, including details about the music you heard on today's podcast, please visit our website at singamen.giamusic.com. Sing Amen is produced and supported by GIA Publications.